Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Truth Tidbits, episode 153, as we read through the scriptures each and every day. And I pray that you are reading the Word of God as well. Today I'd like to continue in the book of Jude. It's a small book with just one chapter. And today we're going to read in verse 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So here we're introduced by Jude to this man named Enoch, who he calls a prophet who has prophesied about these last days, and he's prophesying, including these deceivers that Jude is warning about, Jude shows us how this prophetic word also applies to these deceivers Jude has been warning us about ever since verse 4 of this chapter. And we've talked about these deceivers. We've talked about deception and about how we must be careful. He's described them. He's told what their purpose was. He's, he's shown us many things about this deception and it is prevalent today, so this is a timely word for us to pay attention to today, that we will watch out for these deceivers that come in, creep in, knowing full well what they're doing, and they creep in and they take and exchange and transfer and just turn and twist the true grace of the Almighty God for things that are unbridled lust and passions in their own desires and deny the lordship of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jude has been warning us about them. Now he goes to this example from Enoch, and he draws from Enoch from way back in the olden days of history, of ancient history. And he talks about how he prophesied. Now, when we read about Enoch in Genesis, it's very very small amount that we're going to read and look at in just a moment. But we need to know who is this Enoch. First of all, understand that there were a couple of people called Enoch back in early part of Genesis. So that's one of the reasons that Jude makes clear exactly which one he's talking about here. So he defines this Enoch as the seventh from Adam meaning the seventh generation from Adam through Seth. Seth became the godly line of Adam. If you'll remember, Adam and Eve first had Cain and Abel. And we talked earlier about the, the error of Cain and so forth, the way of Cain, because Jude brought him out as well. And we looked at that in an earlier episode and how Cain killed Abel. So, God gives them another son, and Seth becomes the father of the godly line. Adam, of course, is the father of Seth, 
and then through Seth comes the godly line of the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. So let's look back and read a few verses about Enoch from the book of Genesis. I want to read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, and then we're going to skip into chapter 5. Genesis 4, 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Then if we go into chapter 5, we begin to see the genealogy of Adam through the line of Seth, the godly line. So we read more about that, and you can read about in the first verses about how God made Adam, just like he said in Genesis 1 and 2, God created him, and then it tells about how Adam lived a certain number of years and then began to have his own children, and he begot Seth, and Seth begot Enosh, and on and on down the line. So let's pick up the reading in Genesis 5, verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. So let's talk about this for a minute. This gives us the earliest information about this man named Enoch, who is the seventh generation from Adam. Now, Adam and Eve and each one of these in the godly line had more sons and daughters than just the ones that are listed here. But these are the generations and the ones that become pertinent to the godly line of Messiah, the Messianic line. Enoch was one of the ancestors of Jesus through Adam, through Seth, and so on. So we find that to be true when we look at the genealogy given to us in Luke chapter 3, and it specifically mentions Enoch. I believe it's in verse 37, if I'm not mistaken. So we read about Enoch here. We don't read very much. We just find out a few details. We find out that he lived 65 years, and then he bore a son named Methuselah. Methuselah is specifically named here because Methuselah is in the godly line. And from Methuselah will come Noah in the second, the second generation from Methuselah. So Methuselah becomes the grandfather of Noah, and Enoch then, of course, is the great-grandfather of Noah. And so we're reading about the godly line through Seth, the promised Messiah's line through Seth. We learn here that Enoch lived 365 years, and then he was walking with God, had in such an intimate relationship with God, that God just took him. He raptured him. He called him up, just like God did with Elijah. 
Enoch becomes the very first picture of the rapture in Scripture. Now, we believe that a rapture is ahead for the people of God. There is coming a time. It was prophesied by the Lord himself. It was prophesied by Paul. It's spoken of in the New Testament in many places, possibly even in hidden form in the Old Testament. There is coming a time when Jesus will call his bride, his church, to himself, and we refer to that as the rapture. It's the catching away. It's when we will gather together to him to be with him in the air, just like Paul says, to ever be with him where he is. He promised he was in John chapter 14. He promised that he was going away to prepare a place for us and he would come again, receive us to himself and take us to be where he is. So we know that this rapture is coming. There's disagreements in the church over when that will happen, how it will happen, etc. And we're not going to get into that here in this particular episode, but just know there is a gathering together to Jesus for his church that is ahead. Here we see that God gathered Enoch to himself. Enoch never died. He's only one of two that never died. He and Elijah were both taken up to the Lord in this rapture-type event. And so it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not. God took him. God brought him to himself in that special way. Now, that's what Genesis tells us about Enoch. Let's find out some more details about Enoch from the New Testament. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, we read this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. That was the quote from the earlier part that we just read. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is or that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 is giving us what we typically might refer to as a hall of faith a hall of fame, so to speak, for heroes of the faith. And Enoch is one of those listed in this chapter as a hero of the faith, as a pattern, as an example. Hebrews 12.1 calls them the great cloud of witnesses. These types of people that are spoken of here, these individuals and many like them. So in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews is telling us more about Enoch. First of all, he's verifying that Enoch the seventh from Adam did in fact live and was this you know, true person that had this experience. So he's verifying Genesis' account for us. He's also verifying that Enoch did not see death, but God raptured him out. God took him away. God called him to himself. But we also learn here that Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. 
We learned in Genesis that he walked with God. Here we see that he pleased God. But then the author of Hebrews goes on and tells us the requirements for anyone to be able to please God, and it's never changed. So this tells us also that he was a man of faith. He had true faith that pleased God. So what is that faith? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us here, he who comes to God, the person that will come to God with true faith, says they must believe that he is. In other words, that he is God. He is the I am. He exists. He is the sole, one and only, true God. He is God. The Lord, he is God. So Enoch believed that God was the I am, the the I am that I am, the God of the Bible, the true and living God, the only God. And that person that will please the Lord must believe that, but they must also believe that this God will reward those who diligently seek after him, those who are serious about him, those who are earnest in going after him, in walking with him, in developing a relationship with him, in longing for him, in wanting him, that those people will be rewarded. So we know this was the testimony about this seventh from Adam man named Enoch. And we know that he pleased the Lord. Now, Jude comes along and Jude tells us that he also prophesied during his life. We don't read that in Genesis, and we don't read that necessarily in Hebrews, but we do find out from Jude that he gave forth a prophetic word. We don't know if if this was the only prophetic word he gave or not, but he is known, at least by Jude, to have prophesied. He is the first human being we read about in Scripture as far as we can tell, that prophesied. The first promise or prophecy in Scripture is found in Genesis 3.15, and that was the prophecy that God himself gave. That was the prophecy that the Lord gave forth about the Messiah, that he would come through the seed of the woman and he would crush the seed of the serpent, etc. Genesis 3.15 is the first prophetic word from scripture, but the first human being that delivered a prophetic word apparently was Enoch. And we don't read it in Genesis, we read it here in Jude. And so we hear about what he prophesied about. I just want to point this out. There is a book of Enoch that is being sold and is promoted around and you can, you know, look it up if, you know, if you want to. It is not scripture. I will caution you. It does not have the weight of scripture. It is not God breathed. You cannot read it as you would with the same authority as the word of the living God in scripture. But this is scripture. This is God breathed. So we know that this man this seventh generation from Adam, this man named Enoch, 
in the godly line of Seth, delivered this prophetic word during his life. So what did Enoch prophesy? He actually prophesied about the end times. He prophesied about the second coming of Jesus Christ in seed form, in capsule form. It's an end time prophetic word. And it's the first end time prophetic word that we know of, except Genesis 3.15. If you read Genesis 3.15, you will see where the prophetic word is that the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent will bruise his heel. That happened at the cross. The fulfillment of the crushing of the head of the serpent there was a portion of it fulfilled at the cross. I do believe that. We can find more details about that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. But the ultimate fulfillment is when the Lord will rule and reign and have that final authority in the book of Revelation in the last day at his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom and the day when he will send the devil into the lake of fire eternally. That is yet to unfold. That is yet to happen. So Enoch prophesied way into the future. Possibly, you know, I don't know. I can't remember. I know that we, my husband did a chart um, of all the people and the various lengths of life that they had in those early generations in Genesis. So for instance, Adam lived to see many of his grand, grand, great, 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 great grands, you know, and so forth, because they lived very long lives at that time. But Enoch looked perhaps some 6,500 or so years way into the future, some 5,000 years way into the future, and he sees this, and it refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the way we know that is because this concurs with other scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. Early in the book of Genesis, God gave this word and, and this experience happened in some type of a seed form, which was later developed with many other details that the rest of scripture provides for us. But let's see what he saw and what he prophesied about. He prophesied about these men also. And remember, these men are the ones that we were warned about in verse 4, these deceivers. So they are part of what Jesus is coming to deal with. This is what it says. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. That day refers to Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11 from 11 through, I believe it's chapter, uh, it's verse 20 or so. And that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he will be coming with the armies in heaven, with all of us with him, riding with him, ten thousands of his saints, it says. In other words, Enoch couldn't count them all. There was a whole lot. And so he just says it was with 10,000 of his saints. Jesus is coming back. And one of the reasons he's coming back is to execute judgment on all. 
to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So in other words, one of the reasons Jesus is coming back is to deal with and make right, bring true justice to all of those who have continued in sin and rebellion against the Lord, refusing to repent. One day they will receive this judgment that has been promised. All of this fits perfectly with all of the other scriptures that unpack these details for us in later, in later parts of scripture. For instance, Psalm 22, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 9, Hosea, Isaiah. All of these give us details about Jesus' first coming and about his second coming. Jude has been warning us against these deceivers from verse 4, and these will be suffering this same end-time judgment because it says right here, he prophesied about these men also. So when Jesus comes back, Jude is making very clear they're not going to get away with this sin. They are going to be dealt with. Let's discuss for just a moment Jesus' second coming. The Bible, especially in the Old Testament, calls it the day of the Lord. It's also referred to as the day of God's vengeance because he is the judge of all the earth and he will come and judge and rule righteously and with true justice. If you'll remember, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, it talks about the, the Spirit of the Lord. It's Isaiah 61. As a matter of fact, let's read Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And then it goes on and it talks about some other things that he will do. This is important when we look at Luke chapter 4, because Jesus quotes this very scripture, but you'll notice something he doesn't quote. What he leaves out is very important. Let's look at this. In Luke chapter 4, beginning verse 16. So he came, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And it's exactly the same place we just read. Notice this. Here it's quoted. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Boom. Stops right there. Notice this. Verse 20. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Jesus knew that this was a messianic prophecy. The people knew that this was a messianic prophecy. Jesus declares he fulfills that prophecy. However, notice this. He stopped mid-verse, mid-verse, mid-sentence in Isaiah 61 too. He did not quote the entire verse. The portion that he left out was the portion that said that included the Spirit of the Lord anointing him to bring in or proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. The reason he didn't say that is because that was not at his first coming. That was not the purpose for his first coming. The purpose for his first coming was the anointing of the Spirit was upon him for all of these other things. But the day of vengeance of our God was not yet at this time fulfilled. It is what will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again in Revelation chapter 19. So we have to understand that the day of vengeance of our God is one of the titles or one of the ways that the coming of Jesus is referred to at his second coming. At his second coming, this will be that day, the day of vengeance of our God. Many prophets of old have spoken about it. Zechariah, Nahum, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, for instance. In the New Testament, Peter speaks of it. Paul, John, and here Jude acknowledges it as well. Jesus himself prophetically spoke about it. He spoke about it in days like Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. He spoke about these days being the days of judgment, great vengeance, and tribulation. This second coming of Jesus also speaks of the day of the salvation of Israel for the remnant that will be saved in Israel, the day when all Israel will be saved. It will fulfill Old Testament prophecies and even Paul's own words. Paul writes in Romans 11, I want to read a few verses, verses 1 and 2. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Absolutely no way, positively not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, and then he goes on and he talks about the time when Elijah thought he was left all alone and that nobody else cared about God in Israel. And God had to correct him and show him, no, I still have a remnant in Israel who have not bowed to the gods of the foreigners and the gods of Baal. Then if we turn over to verse 25 through 27 of that same chapter, 
we read this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. And then he quotes, The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the second coming of Jesus also refers to when they will be saved. The Jewish people will be saved. They will cry out to him. Jesus himself prophetically spoke these words. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 through 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her clucks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry will go out from Israel, and they will call out to him, and they will say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That day when Jesus comes at his second coming with the ten thousands of his saints, yes, he will execute the vengeance of God and bring in true justice. He will also save Israel, and Israel will be saved. And this is also the day when King Jesus will begin his reign on earth in what the book of Revelation calls that millennial kingdom time period. We see it prophetically spoken of in many places in the Old Testament, as well as in the New and in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. We find a few details in Revelation 20 and many other details in the other books of the Bible. I have a series on that called Thy Kingdom Come. If you'd like more information and more understanding of the millennial kingdom of Jesus that is coming when he comes at his second coming and how what the Bible does tell us about that, you can look into that study as well. It's called Thy Kingdom Come on my channels. So Enoch is prophesying here of the judgment that is coming at Jesus' second coming. He also, though, for us, has become a foreshadow of the rapture, as we mentioned earlier. And so he helps us to remember the blessed hope that we have for us today, as well as we await the Lord's time when he will catch us up to be with him forever. Now, I believe that we should make our days and make sure that our days are days where we too, like Enoch, are walking with God, pleasing him with our faith by believing the truth about who he is and his rewards, his faithfulness to do what he has promised in his word 
If we will diligently seek him, he will reward us. He will not reward us necessarily with money and things and fame. Not that. But he will reward us in eternal ways. He will reward us in fulfilling ways, in blessings, in this life and in the life to come. May we do his work and share his truth. Hallelujah. Do the work and share his truth. If we also have the same testimony that Enoch had before God took him, that he pleased the Lord because he was a man of true faith, then we will please God and we will also be ready to meet him when he comes. He is coming, according to Revelation 19, verse 11 through 20, as well as many other places in Scripture, he is coming with his saints. And I leave you with this final question. Are you one of his saints that he will be coming with when he returns to establish his kingdom on the earth, to bring his judgment and to bring salvation to the nation of Israel? I pray that you are. And if you are not, you can secure that right now, this very day. Call out to Jesus. Come to him today. He's calling to you. Let him wash away your sins. Repent of your sins. Receive him as Lord and Savior into your life. Let him wash you and make you clean. Let him make you his child. Let him bring you into his family and write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and give you a home with him forever. And then when he comes with 10,000 of his saints, you too will be one of them. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name.